What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And we are coming at you on this Tuesday after Villanova's dominant 40-point win over Butler at the Wells Fargo Center on Sunday afternoon. It brought them three points or three spots up, rather, in the AP pool, AP poll all the way up to 11th overall dominant week for Nova basketball. Great part of the schedule, Pat, like we've talked about. How are you feeling right now? I mean, so we're recording this on Martin Luther King Day and Villanova didn't show a lot of love to Butler over the weekend. It was actually very mean. Um, so, but feel pretty good about Villanova. Love, hoops. No I, less. I know. So, so as we uh, brotherly love. Um, so as we record this, Thank you know, happy MLK day to, to everyone. Of course, it was yesterday when you hear this. Um, but yeah, um, we're going to not spend too much time on the Butler game because I don't think anyone needs to hear a full breakdown of a 40 point win, but uh, Hey, it was a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Pat and I were talking before we started how religious we both are when it comes to watching these games and him and I both definitely turned the brain off a little bit towards the end Just of this game because Just it was so insane and so locked up from the be- from the very beginning. But we put a lot of thought into this episode. We're very excited about it. It's going to be different from our normal recap preview episode. Of course, we are going to talk a little bit about Butler and then towards the end of the episode, we will preview Marquette on Wednesday night. But in the middle, we have some fun stuff planned. We're going to talk about Brian Antoine and Eric Dixon and where this team stands right now. So we're super excited to get into it and we hope you like it. Yeah, no, definitely excited to go a little more conversational here. We'll we'll talk a little Butler here at the start, but then we'll just get into some questions. We've got some topics and should be fun. Yeah. All right. So where should we start with this Butler game? Should we start (laughs) with the fact that they beat them in the first 10 minutes, 22 to six, or the fact that Jay Wright played his second string players for the last six or seven minutes of this game. So when did you think this game was officially over? Was it after the first 10 minutes or did you at least give it into the second half? I start off with a hard hitting question. Yeah, really. I didn't see that question coming at all. I think by halftime, I thought it was done. Yeah. I mean, Butler kind of went on that stretch there towards, towards halftime where they, mm-hmm. I, I say made things close, but it never was close where like they 15 at, points. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> where it at least looked better. Uh, but this thing kind of felt over very quick. What I think Villanova started six, six out of seven from the yeah, field they did. Uh, and a 19 to start or 15 to somewhere around there. Uh, and just knowing Butler's offensive challenges, it felt like it was going to be a struggle for them to ever get back into the game. Yeah, and that's what we talked about in the preview, too. They yeah. don't have a guy. Chuck Harris is unbelievable, and I tweeted that. He is a really, He's fun really to watch. player. He's fun to watch. He comes off the bench. I get that spark plug type thing, but he's probably their most talented scorer on I, I would say so, yeah. So I don't know why he's not getting more minutes. I think he finished with 25. That was actually – it was the second most on the team, uh, Taylor – had 26 minutes, but they, they struggle one. on offense. Yeah, I actually didn't know that name going into this game, to be honest with He's you. He's one of the few new names for Butler, Yeah, obviously, as, as a freshman coming in. And he definitely intrigues me a little bit. A lot of it, otherwise, is the old guard, and mm-hmm. it's the old guard that have not been able to get it done. So exactly. it really, yeah, they, I there wasn't high expectations for, for Butler going in this game. I think Villanova closed like a 15-point betting favorite as well, uh, and covering it was really not an issue. I was just going to say, did they cover it? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, it, it was, it's always been who who's going to score. Their defense completely floundered. But to give Nova credit, this is why I think this game is actually so interesting leading into the analytics talk we're going to have in a little bit because what did you expect? They were 15-point mm-hmm. favorites, like you just said. But to limit a team to 42 points and to offensively explode the way they did for – 33 minutes because again the starters didn't play for the majority of that second half is incredibly impressive no matter how bad of an opponent butler is that's fair i mean if you want to look at the to the (laughs) the most standout stats coming out of this game villanova scored 43 points in the second half butler finished with 42 points as a team uh, to, if so looking at that uh, Villanova, I believe it was the biggest or largest margin of victory they've ever had in a big East game with the 40 point 
Oh, win. I didn't know that. That's yeah, great. and in their 700th Big East game, mind you. So some wow. some very nice round numbers there. Gotta love it. Uh, and then finally, too, Butler. This was their worst loss, losing by 40 since 1994 when they lost to UNC. So a lot of big numbers that could be thrown in here to kind of discuss or sum up uh, Villanova's dominance on Sunday. Yeah, and just how bad it got for Butler. Yeah, also <laughs> just that. How, how bad it got. And then I have something specific from the three-point line. On Sunday was the first time since December 7th that Nova made double digit threes. So they are really becoming so three-dimensional on offense. Like we've talked about a ton over the past few games. And then to put that in perspective, first time that they made 10 plus threes, they did that seven times in their first nine games. And it's now been the first time in over a month. So Yes, it was a terrible three-point defense, but also Gillespie was amazing from the three-point line. Moore was really, really good. Caleb Daniels put some good shots up. So everything is clicking. They're now well above 35% from beyond the arc. They're at 36.2% on the season. I think that number continues to trend up, and that shot just really happened to be there on Sunday. So they're, yeah. they're going to exploit it, and that's what it should be. As much as this conversation has been around reliance and – what they look like on offense and what their go-to is going to go going to be when they have the shot, they're going to take it. And I Mm -hmm. think Jay Wright's been very clear about that from the beginning. I think so too. I still don't fully trust this team from three. I I know you've brought up earlier in the season, you know, how good of a pure shooting team is this? And I I think it is a little bit of a step down from, from previous years, but it most importantly is how they've adapted to become so good on the boards and and really so good inside. Uh, And especially in this game, you know, the, the, the more and Gillespie driving into the paint and kicking out was very apparent eight assists between the two of them, 21 assists for the team, mind you as well, which is just huge numbers. Eric Dixon threw four in, which is, I mean, we're going to talk about Eric in a little bit. Uh, so of course, thrilled about seeing the three point shooting end up where it was on Sunday because it was so strong. I mean, what they shot 63% from beyond the arc, which Villanova has been, you see that (laughs) that's the thing. Not only did they shoot 63%, but if you put that comparatively, kind of what you were talking about to what they've been doing for the last month, plus, you know, they they've barely gone over 35% in multiple game, multiple games. They've barely finished over 35% in any games over that stretch from beyond the arc to then see them go out and shoot 63%, 12 of 19 against a big East opponent. Still. Yes. I understand it was Butler. And of course it was at home, but that, that is very promising. No, I feel the same way. Yeah. It's Butler. It was home, but I, I don't care. You shot 63% yeah. of three. That's insane. And it's my favorite conversation to have how Villanova's adapted, how they've been able to make their offense non-stagnant. We all, we've talked about that so much, how stagnant their offense looked when they were not getting any assists, when it was just Gillespie putting up shots that weren't falling. Now you see how involved everybody is. Yes, Slater and Samuels, they're dealing with injuries. They're not coming along as much as we would like, even though I think Samuels took a huge step forward over the weekend. I I agree. But it's my favorite conversation to have because there were so many chat. There was so much chatter about whether this team could make a deep run in March with the very much rigid structure that they had that was very reliant on a few players now they're so much more flexible and they have bench options and they have scoring from a lot of different guys. And it's just, it's incredible how Villanova's turned it around. I, I hope people are talking about the defense. I hope on a national scale, this is the Villanova that people remember from a shooting perspective, from a defensive perspective, from a tempo perspective. And I also hope that people realize how bad it was for a little mm. while and how much better it is now. Yeah, I'm so impressed. I won't go all the way through it because we basically discussed it last episode about the changes that this team has made. But to see them continue to make the strides and, as you said, become more of a multifaceted offense and be able to hurt you in a couple of different ways when it definitely seemed like it wasn't going to be like that for a while this season. It's been what I have been most impressed with so far this year. Yeah, and I actually had one more thing from the Butler game that I thought was pretty remarkable. Mm Mm-hmm. Butler went to the free throw line three times. Wow. I mean, how how often does a team play that cleanly? They had six free throw attempts. In the Big East, too, where everything's I was just going to say, yep, there have been – John Rothstein tweeted 
about the refs doing a bad job in the Big East as a whole. And it definitely switched. They definitely were able to play more so Villanova or Butler as opposed to Villanova, but that's a really strong performance. After a bunch of games dealing with foul trouble, everybody stayed in there. Everybody remained physical, but they didn't do any costly, just kind of flippant fouls that they've been known for in the past. And by that, I mostly mean Caleb Daniels. (laughs) Uh, No, I I like how you summed it up. Playing clean, that's how this whole game felt. It was just a very clean game. I understand there were 11 turnovers. No one had more than two, so I'm not really concerned. You know, when I look at it there, we talk about the shooting percentage. We say they shot 63% from three. They shot 60% overall as a team and 93% from the foul line. Again, as this team continues to be an absolute machine uh, at the foul line, which is is so, so important, has continued to prove really important throughout the season. Obviously wasn't a difference on Sunday, but continues to pop up there. Um, it was as clean as it gets. And, you know, the, the analytical uh, numbers really showed it after with the big jump up. Yeah. And before we go completely into that point on turnovers too, that number continues to creep up the average of turnovers, but there hasn't been a game where I thought it really played a factor. It's not 15 plus where they're just having sloppy possessions and the guys don't know what they're doing with the ball. That never happens. Sometimes that's an errant pass. Sometimes it's an offensive charge. Sometimes it's a, uh, shot clock violation, but it's so rarely stupid mistakes. And as long as it continues to stay like that, I think if it's around the eight to 11, nine to 12 mark, it's nothing Mm -hmm. to be super concerned over. No, I don't think it's super concerned. The only time I've been angry was in the big five games where it felt like they did have a bit of a lack of concentration and they made some sloppy turnovers. That's when I was annoyed at their turnovers. Otherwise, I think they run things so efficiently on offense. They're 16th in the country in turnover rate. Uh, it's being that high up. That's it's it's a positive for Villanova. It is not something exactly that I'm worrying about right now. Yeah, it's a it's a machine. Yeah, these last few games have been a machine, and they've been they're now six and one in Big East play. They're on a five game winning streak. They're at the part of their schedule where they can really start to capitalize because of the caliber of opponent, but even more so because a lot of these games are at home and you and I have talked about it a lot. We really feel like Nova can go on a run here and they've shown that they can do it against the really good teams too. It's not like it's racking it up against teams that aren't going to do anything in March. They have some big wins on their schedule so far. No, you, you may want to write this one off cause it's at home against Butler. They still won by 40, as we just talked about a historic, you know, margin of victory for them and then throw in the, gauntlet that they just went through in the Big East and they come right. out on top on all of them, you know, minus that first Creighton game. Things are looking up. Things are looking yeah. up on the main line. Just quickly, have we heard anything about the Temple game being rescheduled? Ooh, that's a great point. Uh, no, I have not. I haven't either. And I'm just looking at it and I always forget that that game was supposed to happen and mm-hmm. I haven't heard anything. I actually haven't heard much about postponements in general because so many Big East teams have had issues knock on wood they haven't affected Villanova so far but I wonder when the days are going to be when these games get made up because it's almost the end of January at this point yeah I can't imagine that Temple game is going to be a priority to be made up <laughs> true um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll see we'll see if that game does end up getting played <laughs> yeah I feel the same way all right cool I think a 40 point win in what 10 minutes is probably enough that's so not far. bad yeah yeah around there <laughs> All right. Tell us a little bit about what we're going to get into next. Awesome. Yeah. So we're, we're just going to look at a couple questions here and kind of go conversational and look at it before we, uh, we head into a segment that is going to line up very nicely with Wednesday night game. But do you want me to put the first question out there or do you want to start? Yeah. Yeah. Go okay. ahead. So uh, actually we didn't really touch on this and I think it's because we were kind of saving it here, but you know, Eric Dixon had another very, very strong game against Butler, 30 minutes, 14 points, five boards, as I said, the four assists. Has Eric Dixon quietly started to become, quote, dominant? Question mark? Interesting. I wasn't sure how exactly you're going to word that question. I think there are a lot of ways to go about it. You could ask that question. You could Mm -hmm. ask if he's the X factor on this team. You could ask if his improvement is the reason why Villanova is where it is right now. And We've mentioned throughout the entire season that 
based on all the concerns and the worries that were surrounding him. You you even said it, I think, last week. You weren't putting expectations on no, him because you was didn't not. think he could play at this level. And he continues to prove everybody wrong. I don't know if I'm willing to say dominant because mm-hmm. that's such a big <laughs> word. And when I hear the word dominant, honestly, maybe this is just on a personal level, level but I think of Travion Williams and Kofi Coburn and Drew Timmy, and I don't think Eric Dixon is there. Yep. But to watch him body up the Kalkbrenners and the Fremantles and all the other, the Jack Nungies, all the other big men in the Big East is amazing. And I think he is making his mark on this team for one. And then on an even bigger scale in this conference as one of the most talented, efficient players mm-hmm. on Villanova. And literally, who would have thought we would ha- be having this conversation right now? Yeah. So you did not take the bait for me on the dominant, but I I, I did try there. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think that Eric Dixon is dominant, but what I think Eric Dixon has done is, interestingly enough, he's turned into the third scoring option that yeah. we've been looking for. And listen, it's not there consistently yet. He still has games where the output isn't there. You know, just look over his past five games. He's had games with four, nine, and nine. Nine is, you know, it's good. It'll give you enough, but obviously four isn't going to bring in plenty. But as we've said before, as Samuels and Slater have struggled, I know Samuels did have a much better game on Sunday. Have to give him props for that. Very interesting, by the way, in the press conference that I was able to cover that Jay mentioned that he had not practiced in a week before yeah. Thursday, uh, which maybe that talks a little bit to a, the injury that's going on and b how, how rough of a game he had against Xavier. Cause it was, it, it was bad. Um, but, and then Slater as well, you know, really struggled kind of to, to get involved in the offensive game again. And I, I still believe that that ankle injury is, is hampering him a little more than, than Villanova is letting on. So we're looking for that third scoring option and Dixon's giving it to you, especially over the last, couple games you talk about efficiency that I think that's exactly where you look at where if you'll notice the long mid-range jumper that he was taking a lot of earlier in the season you're not seeing too much of that anymore it is now more of him using that body inside the paint the post moves I love the hook that he goes to he's got a little drop of the shoulder as well that he seems to go to and that spin move will pop out again I think that's all super promising to see as only a sophomore so while no I don't think Eric Dixon is dominant I think to your work dominant yet we'll put it there because he certainly can become that player as you said he's playing really well against some very solid big east big men and he is developing into a reliable scoring option something that i still think this villanova team is trying to mold oh very very good very well said i have many things and i'm going to say them quickly so i don't Go forget for any of them and you can hold me accountable so first remind me to circle back to awareness and intelligence on the court I'll start with the Dixon Slater Samuels offensive point, because I think it's a really interesting one. I actually think there are pros and cons here. Mm -hmm. The con is that I'm not sure this Villanova team can be elite if they don't see the type of offensive performance that Samuels had on Sunday from either Slater or Samuels. So it's awesome that we're seeing 14 points from Eric Dixon. It's really nice that he finds himself himself stepping into this role but I still believe that this team cannot hit its ceiling without Slater or Samuels and I guess the the side note of that is that we just don't get a ton of transparency over how Mm. severe these injuries are and at this point I wish we would just know because there are so many questions surrounding Slater's game and I think you and I are on the same page now. We are just almost completely attributing it to injury because otherwise there really is no excuse for how his offensive game has completely disappeared. It is completely non-existent at this point. Again, like I said at the beginning, this was huge for Samuels because the panic button had been pressed before this game. But with all that being said, I do think they are still very necessary, but you're right. Eric Dixon emerging as a tertiary scorer, very, very important not the best thing that could be happening for this team, but mm-hmm. I, I get the point and, and hopefully my point came across there. No, it did. And I think you're, you're right. in that if Villanova is going to be the Villanova that, you know, is, as keeps pro- ascending up these boards, you need either one of Samuels or Slater 
to be the more consistent scoring option. Yeah. Just they need that wing depth to be able to do it. But I think Dixon currently is filling that void, which I've been really impressed with. I do have to look at Slater as you bring him up because it's just it's unavoidable to look at at this point. In his last three games, he's attempted four field goal attempts. Four field goal attempts. He had a game against Syracuse where he attempted 15. Yeah. It, it's so, you know, different in, in, in the just – the output's not fair because we always knew he was going to kind of have up and down scoring wise, even as hot as he came out of the season, but just to completely lose any sort of aggressiveness, I have to imagine as the ankle injury, because otherwise it just, I, it doesn't make sense. Remember my, my Christmas present that I asked for was for Brandon Slater to keep shooting because I wanted him to, to continue to grow that shot. And it just, it, it feels like it, it has to be injury because otherwise I just don't understand it. He had 17 points against Seton Hall on New Year's Day, which is your outlier from basically the last five games or so. Um, but otherwise, it's just, it's too much to kind of look away from at this point. It's almost incomprehensible to think about it not being the injury. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Because otherwise, I do not understand. The weird thing to me is that at least at the beginning of this game, I remember thinking that Slater Samuels and then more has been dealing with that hamstring injury, which mm-hmm. you can talk more about because you were on that press conference too. Maybe that had been understated too. Yeah, it but was. Those guys looked healthy. And I specifically remember watching Slater bodying up some of Butler's at the beginning, relatively physical guards and thinking, okay, this is a really good step here. He looks really physical on defense. He's not lagging behind at all. Maybe this is going to translate to the offensive end, and it didn't. And it hasn't for the past however many games since Christmas at this point, if not sooner. And you're seeing those minutes decrease too. So I don't know. We can keep talking in circles. It feels like we've been doing that for a month now. It does. I just wish we had a little bit more clarity on the situation and whether he's playing through something that is – completely excusing him from these issues or if at some point I'm, my thing now is then why not just sit him and uh, let him rest right that's what i was gonna say next is at this point and i know it wasn't in the press conference he was specifically asked about the ankle and he said getting better every day which obviously isn't a real full answer um i he played 16 minutes on sunday a part of that was a blowout a part of that was the two fouls that he picked up early in the first half so he sat for a lot of that um, and with the fact that they're playing Georgetown, a team that listen, we can talk about it. They should be able to handle because Georgetown has been very, very bad uh, so far this season. I just sit them. I just, yeah. I, I know they have Marquette on Wednesday. You try to kind of push, see what you can do there, I guess. But if it is so bad, maybe you sit them this week against Marquette and Georgetown. Just, just to give him that rest. I mean, you know you never want to lose a guy, especially someone that Jay trusts. It would throw Caleb in, and then, of course, Brian's role would continue to expand, and he'd have to – you'd probably see Chris Archdiakono. We don't have to go into all the hypotheticals for it, but because as I hear myself spiraling, um, I'm more concerned about him playing compromise and continuing to make things worse at this point. Right, because he's not adding much value at this at No. This. He's not playing the Slater. No, healthy Slater is as disruptive as it gets on defense and gives you, you know, that that slashing wing to the basket and has picked up a three point shot, as we saw this year. And he has been just none of that since this injury popped up. And I I just I, I don't know if Villanova can, you know, continue to make things worse with him when I think he could be so important as things pick up. So I'd I'd like to give him some rest. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a tough decision to make because you don't want to, you don't want a your leader to be on the bench but also that means you're compromising the integrity of the game a little bit which we know that Jay Wright hates to do against yes. opponents like Marquette and Georgetown it's not a huge coincidence you know you're not you're probably not sitting him against a Seton Hall or a Providence or a Yukon but the fact of the matter is if he's hurt he should not be making it worse and yeah. you and I will both probably die on this hill that a Villanova team without the version of Slater that we saw at the beginning of the season is a significantly worse Villanova team. And the difference now though, is that putting Caleb into that starting role in Slater spot, and then seeing more of definitely Antoine, definitely Jordan Longino, and then maybe Chris Arch. How bad is that? Mm -hmm. What more does Caleb have to do to show that we can trust him now? What more does Jordan have to do on defense to prove that, He's not going to make 
defensive mistakes and same with Brian Antoine offensively and defensively. So it's not like the wheels are going to fall off, especially against a Marquette or a Georgetown. I'm with you. I I think rest them and and see Mm -hmm. if it makes it better. And maybe that week of rest revolutionizes his game a little bit. Yeah. I I wonder if we just see a limited Slater on Wednesday, because I do think Marquette poses a threat, Uh, but Mm -hmm. Saturday, I I would sit him for Saturday, just let him rest. And now, you know, we say all this and watch against Marquette, he scores 23 and and shoots, you know, 12 field goal attempts. I would happily be wrong if that. Me too. Go Slate. So no, we'll see. Do you want to ask your question? Yeah, it's so funny. I did not expect to go that way at all. Um, I actually had one more point about Eric Dixon. Which about which is what we were talking about at the beginning. It seemed like at the beginning of the season, his role was the pick and roll guy and finding the open man on the perimeter and making some moves down low against the bigger five, but not really being that offensive present that he's turned into. There were plays that he made against Butler, and I'm I'll say it again, it was Butler, but still that I literally thought to myself, I don't think he's making that play at the beginning of the season. And there's one specific one where he got an offensive rebound. He has two defenders around him. He has the strength to go up and draw a foul. We saw him do that a couple times on Sunday, but then he took an extra step and found, uh, I believe it was more in the corner who sunk a three. Yes. Maybe it was yep. Daniels uh, more. So, I think if I'm thinking of yeah, the same, one, was it more? Okay. So the bottom line there is that he has so much more court awareness. And again, this is in his first full season as a starter. We've seen him make these type of jumps. Imagine what the ceiling is for his sophomore year and his junior year, and maybe even his senior year, if we get lucky and he stays the whole time. That's what I think the potential of Dixon is now, because he's made such an insane leap, both intellectually and physically in terms of conditioning and physically in terms of bodying up opponents it just seems like every single part of his game has taken this huge leap and the mental leap really stuck out to me on butler because he's just so much more comfortable and confident doing different things now and shout out that he seems to always be the one diving for balls on the floor right by the way. oh as that the was biggest a, what a villanova, villanova yeah. basketball player <laughs> as the biggest guy on the floor for villanova he is the one that always seems to hit the hit the floor and uh, i think that just goes into his <laughs> to quote it attitude uh, and yeah. mentality uh, that really has helped him grow into the player that we're seeing right now. So go Eric Dixon. You know, it's it's awesome to see. I feel the same way. He he deserves it 100%. And you know that the Fox Sports 1 camera people are going to play that replay over and over and over because that's Villanova basketball in a 40-point game. Come on now. <laughs> you got to love it. All right. So let's switch to Brian Antoine now. So if you are not on Twitter, I will give a little bit of background here and also behind the scenes of me, Pat, and Eugene. So <laughs> Pat, Eugene, and I are texting during the game. And I say, I think I'm going to say something that is going to ignite Villanova Twitter. And Pat and Eugene say, no, 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 Emma, don't do that. <laughs> we love to ignite Villanova Twitter. <laughs> we love to ignite Villanova Twitter. So I think, and I'll, I guess I'll pose it to you and then I'll tell you what I think. And I'll, mm. I'll tell you what Twitter thinks as well. There has been a significant improvement in this Villanova team since Brian Antoine's return. And I have some numbers to prove it. Since his return against Creighton on December 17th, that was that 20-point road loss. But since then, Villanova has been 6-1 and one in Big East play. They've scored, on average, 70.1 points. They've only allowed 61.5 points. Gillespie, whose season average is 17.1 points, has been ad- averaging 18.6 in that seven-game span, and then more is at 15.8 on the season, and he's been averaging 16.3 in that span. I'll just say this as a disclaimer. This doesn't take into account the Butler game because I crunched these numbers during the second half of the Butler game when it was absolutely locked up at that point. (laughs) So just even make those numbers a little bit higher and the points allowed a little bit lower, taking into account how much of an outlier this Butler game was. So, Pat, has Brian Antoine's return been the reason for this run of dominance that Villanova has had in its last six games. So I give you the cop-out answer of yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yes. So boring. I know. I know. Yes, because not because Brian Antoine is back specifically, like he's impacting games that much that has caused Villanova to now rip off this winning streak, but he's giving you 16 minutes a game, which is really important. Offensively, it hasn't clicked for him yet. He's shooting just 20%. I know he's hit a couple threes, but he's really not driving at all. The, the big thing with Antoine, of course, is defensively. I think the active hands, the speed, the athleticism, the quickness that we see from him has been, you know, a, a breath of fresh air for his ability to close out and, and rotate and all things like that. I think it's going back to our discussion, you know, earlier in the season, again, he's giving them 16 minutes a game that currently, you know, that wasn't there earlier in the season. Uh, of course, the math doesn't work out perfectly, but just he's he he's giving starters more of an opportunity to be able to rest and then be able to play at full strength, which I think is so important as we go back, you know, two months ago. So no, Brian Antoine has not made this impact by himself, but yes, by being able to lengthen the bench, um, that has had a a huge key for Villanova on top of all the things they changed, you know, becoming more two point centric and, and all things like that. Yeah, so I poked fun at you, but I feel the same exact <laughs> And And not only are those 16 minutes that he's bringing important, they are quite literally the reason why you and many others thought that Villanova lost some of those non-conference yep. games, right? Yep. Like, literally, that is the reason why some people thought those games lost, th- those games were lost, and now you get this wonder named Brian Antoine who comes off the bench and literally provides that. So... I don't know. I guess what were you expecting the answers to be on Twitter? I would say I'm actually really interested because I did okay. not see the responses to it. So I don't know what people said. Um, ooh, I, I think people, there are going to be people out there that are really excited that he's back and, and will attribute part of this to it. Yeah. So that's kind of what I thought. And it was pretty mixed. So there okay. were some people who felt the way we did that it's not a coincidence that Villanova went on this winning streak now that he is back, but it's not necessarily him because it's not like he's pouring in 10 plus points a game. Yeah. It's more so the intangible stuff, all the stuff you mentioned, the defensive intensity, the athleticism, versatility, you can go on and on. So that's kind of the boring answer that we had. It is boring. But then there were people who said explicitly, yes, what he brings is the reason why Villanova is so much better. And then there were people that said, ah, no. Hmm. So I was very interested. There was actually one person and I'm not putting him, I'm not exposing him here. I I think this is an interesting take. He said, basically Brian Antoine's overrated and he doesn't understand what he brings that makes Villanova so much better. So I thought that was interesting because I disagree. But if you look at Antoine's box score, you might be hard pressed to disagree with that, mm-hmm. right? It's not, it's much more of the intangible stuff. So I disagree with that point. I think there is a clear correlation, but I lean much more to the sides of what he brings revolutionized this team in terms of bench flexibility, bench longevity, and allowing the scores to get some rest and then also just opening up scoring in general. I love that you've managed to slip the uh, slip the word revolutionize in here twice on this episode. Yes. So that's pretty cool. Thank you. Uh, no, of course. Yeah, <laughs> no. I listen. If you look at Brian Antoine and you imagine the five star All American coming out of high school, I understand if you're saying he's overrated and and, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. If you take into effect, you know, all the stop start that he's been given and and everything of that nature, and then take into what he's actually bringing to this Villanova team. I I think he has certainly made an impact. I understand he isn't the, you know, Jeremiah Robinson Earl type impact that people thought he could be when he came in here, but you you can't discount what he has been able to do in lifting this team, uh, especially on the defensive end. And, you know, you still hope he can find something on offense. I, I, certainly think there is a better offensive game out there from Brian Antoine. Hell, he was better, you know, shooting the ball last season than he has mm-hmm. been so far this year. So I do think there's, you know, room for growth there because we've already seen it. Um, but especially defensively, he's been so key. <clears throat> I'm glad you ended with that because that was going to be la- my last point too. There is certainly room for improvement and yes. you could make that argument that he might not be as important or essential to this team as a Slater or Samuels improvement. But imagine what this team looks like with an improved Antoine mm-hmm. on offense. So 
I, I definitely feel that way. There also is something to be said for him getting the minutes over Arch. I don't think we need to go deep down that no. hole, but you're just putting a lot of talent up at the front of this line. And how many times did we talk about if a six and a half man bench could make it deep into March? Now we're yep. talking about seven and a half, eight, eight and a half. That's a big difference. It is. It is. Listen, if you want to worry about Antoine next season and say, what type of scoring is he going to bring when they lose out on guys that, you know, have led the way scoring was, I get that. But now is not the time to, no. to, to worry about that. It, it really not isn't. Now is to focus on what he's bringing right now and what he can continue to bring for this team. Yeah. So I thought that was a fun little exercise. Thank you to everyone who engaged with it on Twitter. I will try and think of more controversial takes like this one. Try and get the, try and get the Twitter machine ignited once yeah. again. No, it's for me too. Thank you to everyone that engaged with me covering that press conference. That was fun. I'm yeah. usually not on Twitter too much. So it was cool yeah. seeing everyone's uh, reactions. I actually meant to follow back. Can you talk a little bit about Justin Moore's hamstring and also how his hair came into it? Yes, of course. So I think one of the first questions of the press conference was actually for Justin about his hamstring and he answered it in the most nonchalant way possible in the most Justin Moore way possible. He just said, I'll be fine. End quote. That was it. He wasn't looking to give any more. Um, and very clearly, you know, it, it didn't hamper him over the weekend and it has not hampered him the last couple of games as he has been an absolute stud. And then my, I, I don't know if I'll say favorite because there, Eugene actually got the best line of the whole press conference, but Justin was asked if there was any correlation between him dyeing his hair and the, uh, and the correct, the play, you know, that he's had where he's picked up and he, he didn't fully acknowledge that. Yes, it's it, but he's, I think he did say, you know, maybe, maybe there was a part of it. <laughs> so, maybe he's just, he's not willing to admit it, but we know no, Justin, we know with those, those highlights are just things of beauty. So um, I honestly wish that he uh, he said more about the hair because yeah, Eugene's got the quote here is it's just getting better each and every day. I don't think it's got to do with my hair, <laughs> but very fun question that he was asked the, on the thing of Eugene might as well ask, you know, bring it up to that. He got the best quote of the entire session out of Jay when, you know, asking him about Justin Moore and Colin Gillespie and what he said, you know, he talks about how Justin's going through adversity. And then he mentioned Colin has dealt with adversity too. And I was wondering, I'm like, oh, has Gillespie been dealing with an injury that we didn't know about? Did, did something happen? And the next words out of Jay's mouth was Colin has dealt with a lack of intelligence from his coach playing him crazy minutes. <laughs> a new Jay Wright, ladies and I gentlemen. I was just going to say 2022 Jay Wright is just an entirely new beast that we didn't know we needed. But <laughs> we did. It's fun. It was fun. It was, it was cool to be able to cover that. Uh, so yeah, that's funny. Yeah, it was all good. Cool. Cool. Uh, all right. We have one more question. And I think it might be the best one. Yeah, let's go quick on this because I know we've yeah. gone gone a little longer on some of this stuff and we've got more to get to. Um, you know, Villanova, especially analytically, we've kind of looked at it uh, a couple, a, a little bit so far through this episode without fully going head on. Ken Palm currently has them ranked as the third best team in all of college basketball right now, which really brings into how far this Villanova team has gone up and, and how good the performance has been. The only teams that rank above them are Gonzaga and Baylor at the current moment. The question is very simply, how good actually is this Villanova team? Yeah, it, that, it's a very good question. It's simple, um, but it's not. Exactly. I do not think they are the third best team in the country, but I think they have showed that they are much more improved than they were when they faced all of those non-conference teams that they faced at the beginning of the season. I think their numbers are in a good spot. I think defensively they can absolutely go toe-to-toe with almost any team in the league. And honestly, they have. Again, that Baylor performance was incredible from a defensive standpoint. Mm -hmm. It was just that they played the worst offense that they have literally ever. Tennessee, same thing. It's just funny because when I talk about the lull in the season for Villanova, honestly, I go to the big five games. Yeah. And they won those games. So it's hard to think about record and efficiency and on an offensive and defense and defensive end because they resulted in wins, but that was not the Villanova that we're seeing now. Now this is a much more well-oiled machine. I still don't know if they could beat a Purdue or yep. even a Baylor or a Gonzaga. So that's why I'm hesitant to put them as the third team overall. Net rankings have them third overall too. And I think, their numbers against quads two, three, and four do a lot 
to that because they're undefeated in that category. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to hear what you think. No, I I'll go short because it does sum up a lot of what you said too. I think this is a really good Villanova team. I still would give the advantage to Gonzaga. I still would give it a Baylor. Purdue freaks me out with their front court, you know, ability. I think a team like Duke can can really stretch the floor as inconsistent as they can be. And I love Kansas, honestly. I know I was, they, they I don't. Gonna say Kansas yeah, they too. don't get a ton yeah. of plaudits this year. Watch that Kansas team; they are legit. Yeah. Um, so I listen. You're pairing Villanova around there, so it's not like they're exactly in poor company, but. I, I don't think they're the third best team in the country. I certainly think they're top 10. I think you can make an argument that on their day, they can be top five. I think you can make an argument that if they are getting contributions from their wing players, they can beat anyone in the country. Mm-hmm. And they're, listen, teams are not going to want to play them come March with, with how this Villanova team continues to shape up. But I, I do think they are not as strong as Kempom currently has them as the third ranked yeah. team. As much as that hurts to say, that's that's just how I look at it. I think it's logical. And I think you summed it up really well. And I did this with the 2018 team as well. I didn't have a very good perspective about how good they were until they were beating their opponents into the ground, because when you're in it and when you're watching every single game, you nitpick all your weaknesses and you think, Oh my God, how is this team ever going to match up against Drew Timmy and Gonzaga? Because Mm -hmm. as good as they looked against Butler, I'm thinking, all right, well, how is this shooting going to match up when you got some legit, offensive weapons on all those really good teams you just mentioned how is eric dixon really going to do against Against big men yeah in in really really good i was going to say really really good conferences i do believe big (laughs) east is a really really good conference but against those really upper echelon teams the bottom line is they're in that conversation and at the beginning of the season they were in that conversation but they hadn't earned it yet Mm -hmm. i think they have earned it now yep they they deserve to be in the conversation they do and that's i think that's the best thing we can look at you know, and, and we'll see as they continue to, to navigate through a, a difficult Big East field. So it's just an opportunity to continue to differentiate themselves. Yeah. And I actually, one more point that ties that into the, the Antoine tweet as well. A lot of people were bringing up that the non-conference schedule was too hard and it set this team back. Jay I, brought it up. Did he? Oh, tell me that yeah. first. <clears throat> actually, one of the more interesting lines from him, I, I wish I had it directly in front of me, but he talked about the question was more about what's changed over this winning streak. And Jay didn't really go to the winning streak. He went more to the losing. Uh, and he brought up how uh, they, the team was in a little bit of a funk. And he even said maybe a little worn down from our schedule, which he then mm-hmm. said, you know, that they shouldn't be because they all knew what the schedule was going into the season. Then the biggest quote to end it there was, and that's not acceptable. So there, there's Jay kind of talking about, you know, maybe the schedule was a little rough for them and we've talked about it. I, it's not even as much the opponents, even though of course it is, it's the just little amount of home games they played early mm-hmm. on, which was crazy. All the top teams in America play like 12 games in a row at home to open up the season and <laughs> was on the road or neutral court. It seemed like every single night. And I think Jay was kind of admitting, maybe it did take a little bit out of them, even if it shouldn't be an excuse. Yeah, it's one thing to say it's not an excuse preseason and saying they all know what's coming and to actually go out on the road and do it. But the bottom line here is, do you think he regrets it? Uh, I do not. I think, listen, I I think it'll all be a good experience come March. But when you're going through it, you kind of understand these guys being exhausted playing UCLA, Purdue, Tennessee, Baylor, you know, go through on and on and on. 100%. I feel the same way. I think it made this team better. It's a corny thing. But they are tested now. We literally can watch tape of how they played against UCLA and think, okay, this is a much better Villanova team now. And here is what they're going to do to change what they did versus the first time they played them. You know, not a lot of teams have that luxury when it comes to March. So I'm 100% for it. Yes, it was a grind. We we weren't the ones playing it, obviously. So (laughs) we come at it from a different perspective. It would have been nice if some of those games were home. But I really do think that that prepared them also being the attitude perspective that maybe Jay's talking about this team isn't accustomed to losing too. So to drop that many games at the beginning of the season had to be different for guys like Colin and Jermaine who just haven't lost in their collegiate career. So that must've been an interesting mental toll. Now they found that groove again, and it's got to feel even better than it normally does in any other season because you started from where you did, and now you we are where you are now. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted to hit that. No, that that's before we great. move on to Marquette. 
Right, so, well, do, do you want to hit our little uh, special topic before Marquette? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, absolutely. So, no, that, that was fun kind of discussion as we go question-wise and more conversational. We thought everyone would enjoy that instead of breaking down a 40-point win. <laughs> um, but, you know, this kind of leads into Wednesday night. Uh, it is a special night for Villanova basketball and why it is not just because they are taking on Marquette at the Finneran Pavilion, but because they will be honoring Josh Hart's jersey on Wednesday night. Hart you know, 10th all time for Villanova with over 1900 points, 14th in rebounds with over 800. Uh, he was a first team All-American in 2017, biggest player of the year in 2017. And of course, a national champion in 2016 uh, on heart. He was actually the first Villanova jersey I owned was mm. a, a Villanova three jersey for him. Uh, I loved watching Josh Hart play, got to see him play many times in person and uh, really, really excited that he's going to get that jersey honored on Wednesday night. So, Pat, I actually looked back, and that Josh Hart jersey was also the first Villanova jersey. That wow, I look at us. Yeah. I thought it might have been Brunson, but it was Josh Hart. That's three. Freshman year, I got it. I, I love that. That's yeah. phenomenal. <laughs> no, it's cool. I mean, so I know you have a whole thing, and, and yep. I'm, I'm so excited to hear you talk a little bit about it and to hear your grievances as well. But it's cool to have these guys come back to the Finn, which they might not have played in, but still – what they meant to these teams. Like when you picture how dominant Josh Hart was in 2017 and how Mm -hmm. he elevated that team, it was all him. That was Josh Hart's team. And then to watch him be successful in the NBA is really cool. And he continues to do that. And there are so many other successful NBA players as well. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, so that that 2017 team, our freshman year team, it still breaks my heart how things went out against Wisconsin because that team was so so good. So thank you, NCAA, for suspending Amari Spellman uh, for, for that yeah, that season. Um, but no, Josh's numbers there in 2017, of course, were great. He was a, a big part of the 2016 national title game. Honestly, part of the heart and soul of, of Villanova basketball for a very long time and and certainly deserves such an honor. Uh, I, I'm pumped. I'm hoping to be at that game on Wednesday night finally getting over this damn sickness uh, and being able to uh, to honor him there. But I thought it'd be interesting to kind of look at what we've seen in recent history with Villanova honoring jerseys. Now we know they don't really retire jersey numbers. The only one they've ever done is, is Paul Erzin. Uh, number 11 is the only jersey number truly retired. Otherwise, they just honor the jerseys and hold them from, to the rafters. Uh, but some recent jersey honorees, Howard Porter and Alan Ray, in 2019, two very deserving recipients, of course, Kyle Lowry and Ryan Archidiakono in 2020. No one in 21, of course, without fans. And then Josh coming in here in 2022. So the question I pose is, who do you think's next now after Josh? Yeah, I'm going to take the easy answer. Yep. But before I say it, it's an interesting time span for Villanova because now you're getting into the two national championships in three years. Mm-hmm. Like, I really am curious to hear what their criteria is. I, I guess that's the word for, for who makes it and who doesn't, because I will, we'll, we'll say these names, but like Omari Spellman versus Daniel Chefu or Dante DiVincenzo versus Mikhail Bridges and who, on these teams elevated them from a really good team to a national championship team, but I'll take mm-hmm. the easy answer. Jalen Brunson should absolutely yep. be next. Yeah. Br- Brunson's the guy that I look at too, that I just, I'm very excited and we'll do whatever I have to do to make sure I am there for yeah, that. You should start a petition to <laughs> pretty You're much the captain of the fan club. As I said, Brunson is my favorite all time Villanova basketball player. I of course have the Jersey and just adored watching everything about him playing everything he put in there. I mean, one of Villanova's, you know, best ever players argument could be made. He is Villanova's best ever player. So, so really exciting there. I think the questions you bring up are interesting. You know, does a Mikhail or a DiVincenzo get in, you know, DiVincenzo has got a, a final form, most outstanding player, right? You know, at a right. lot of schools that'll get you your Jersey uh, honored. I just, I, for me, I, I don't know if it's an unpopular uh, opinion. I do not think DiVincenzo gets the, the Jersey honored. Uh, as you know, of course, incredible he was on that run. I just think body of work wise, it would probably be a no. Bridges is the interesting one that I look at where, again, across the body of work, to use that term, how good he was and, and how he developed into just one of the top wings in the entire country, of course, one national title. Um, I, I wonder with Bridges. What, what do you, first off, what do you think on the DiVincenzo and, and thoughts on Bridges? I lean your way. 
Um, I, I don't think Villanova could have won that championship without him, but I also don't know body of work wise, if it's going to be up there. So yeah. it's funny. I feel the same way. Two-time national title on bridges. I knew he had that, that 16 team too. I would be floored and upset if his Jersey wasn't retired. Yeah, How, could I, not, I, how could it not be Mikhail bridges? Come on. I think it's got it. I, 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 I am relatively confident that it's going to be. Yeah. Your only thing would be, he wasn't a first team all American you know, at any point, but two-time national champion, you know, was a Big East tournament MVP. Of course, we know everything that he meant to Villanova. Only three years, wasn't a four-year guy, but I, I still think that he's got a legit shot um, at getting it retired. And then one more, I still find it wild that he hasn't had his jersey retired yet. It's Scotty Reynolds, you know, he, oh yeah, everything that he was for this Villanova team, you know, first team All-American, over 2,000 points scored. I believe he's second all-time. Uh, at Villanova, of course, had the final four in 2009 with the, the buzzer beater and the layup. It just, Scotty's got to get retired. So that, that's the other one I looked at. Yeah, I, I, don't, I know you've heard this story. I'll just say it quickly because it actually makes me emotional whenever yeah, tell I hear it. the word Scotty Reynolds. So my brother and I, when we were really little, like probably, what, what was Scotty Reynolds, 2009? That, yeah. So I was 10 or 11 at the time. My brother and I would play basketball downstairs and we set up laundry bins as basketball hoops and he would print out a college basketball roster and I would print out a college basketball roster and we would pin it to the wall and we would pretend to be those players. And I printed out Villanova's roster and I would be Scotty Reynolds. And that was what I thought of at that time. And it just blows my mind that I then went to Villanova and do this now, blah, 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 that whole thing. It's incredible. But I completely agree with you. It is insane that his hasn't been retired yet. He deserves it almost more than anybody in my mind. Yeah. So two he number one started it all right. Pretty much. I, yeah. I pretty, pretty much. So two number ones here, as we talk about Reynolds and Brunson, and it's funny you bring that up. So I'll there too. his buzzer beater against Pitt in, in the elite eight. That is my earliest memory of Villanova was really? watching that game in my house. Um, and little did I know, you know, seven years later, I'd end up as a freshman. I know there. <laughs> it gives me chills. It gives me chills thinking about it. It's really cool. All right. So I have one more point there because we, we could have this conversation forever, but it's the little moments. Somebody like Chris Jenkins, <laughs> maybe, maybe his body of work doesn't deserve is a tough word. What's but what's a better word than deserve? <sighs> I, I know what you're saying. Doesn't yeah. bode for it if you want to. Yeah, it doesn't there. merit it. What, yeah. we, you know what I'm trying to say. But the greatest moment in, in the college basketball moment. history. Yeah. <laughs> so then that's one. And then when I think about currently, Colin Gillespie probably will when you think about what he put into this program. But what if he didn't win a national championship besides that freshman year. I, that's a little different, but you see the point I'm trying to I make do. there. Like, is it going to be championships? Is it going to be key moments? Because if it's key moments, then it should be Dante and Chris Jenkins. Mm-hmm. So there are so many different things to think about. I think it's so interesting. I think Gillespie is more likely than Jenkins. I do. I just, I, I, agree. I, I agree. know he's got the literal one shining moments for, for Jenkins, but I, if you, again, I I don't want to continue to say it, but just body of work wise, Gillespie's got the, of course, the national title where he wasn't a big contributor Mm -hmm. on it, of course, because he's just a freshman, but just everything he then put into the program the next couple of years. And hell, if he comes out with, I don't know, a final four run this year, fingers crossed, Mm -hmm. uh, that'd definitely be nice for the old uh, Jersey uh, resume there. So it'll be something to follow for us. Maybe he'll smile during it. No, never know. No, probably not. (laughs) <laughs> but definitely no. will not oh, that was fun yeah great idea Pat. That we, was we thought that was fun just with josh yeah. getting his uh, jersey on or on wednesday tweet us your thoughts because i'm sure everyone does not agree with what we mm-hmm. think for who's getting in who's not getting in who still deserves to be honored all those things so let us know we're we're all in i'm sure we're missing somebody major we certainly that are. we're gonna hear and be like oh I i'm, I'm gonna feel like yeah. an idiot but yeah. um no I'm, I'm excited so if you can make it out on wednesday night go because it'll be very cool to uh, to be able to honor josh totally Totally. Sweet. All right. Uh, now let's get up. into Marquette. Yeah, yeah we'll, wrap we'll do things this up quickly. I'll just give a little bit about picture and then we can transition to key games. So they're 12 and six, they're four and three overall in Big East play. And that number is a little bit misleading yeah. because they started off 0 and three, and then they are currently on a four game win streak. And they have two of those wins over Providence and Seton Hall. They haven't lost since January 1st to Creighton. And they have some interesting non-conference games they have that win over illinois but it was without kofi coburn and then the losses st bonaventure wisconsin ucla those are the big ones and actually just to confirm 
it was without Coburn, right? Yep. Yeah, just want to make sure. So this one key stat that I'm looking at, it's offense. It's always been about offense for Mar- Marquette because we know how good Shaka Smart's defense is at Marquette, and that's really the reason why he was stated probably because they needed a a completely new identity, and defense is now it. So in those first three games of Big East play, Marquette had 71 points, 70 points, and then 69 points in a double overtime game. Mm-hmm. That's it. In their next four, which were all wins, they scored 88 points, 92, 87, and 73, respectively. So it is not a coincidence at all that when they start scoring, they're racking up those wins. And I wonder what version of Marquette we're going to see on Wednesday. Oh, I, I like that we kind of looked in similar places here when, when looking at Marquette. Uh, as you said, over 80 points in three of their last four games. Uh, they are coming off an incredibly <laughs> controversial win over Seton Hall, which is that. I just, wanted you to talk a little bit yeah, about that. Beyond yeah. atrocious refereeing, which is a complete joke. And it's sad that it feels like every episode we have to continue to reference it. And it has gotten mm-hmm. worse and worse. And that was their worst moment now where just it, it, it was an elbow to the face of Bryce Aiken and he found a way to be called for the foul, uh, which is just unacceptable, uh, especially in a game that close in that situation. But we don't need for me to do any more ref show <laughs> stuff. I mean, some people at, might. Some I know people might. It's true. It's been that bad. Uh, looking at their offensive numbers in conference, they are first in field goal percentage. They are second in three point percentage. They are second in points per game in the conference and third in free throw percentage. They, they and first in assists per game. They are coming out firing in conference play. They are dangerous. You know, looking at Shaka's impact. As well, I think this is cool to look at, you know, from a year ago on offense, they were 278th in the country in possession length under Wojciechowski. They're now sixth in 2021. And more interesting for me is defensively teams last year, if we flip that, had the 69th fastest possession length, which means, you know, they were able to, to find shots and things like that. This year, they are facing the 311th quickest possession length with what does that mean that means that their defense is so much better it is so much harder to get a quality shot off the teams are not able to get the ball up fast against them shaka has made a big impact we know that i believe the number is he looks for 32 deflections a game and that that havoc defense you know i downplayed marquette going into conference play where i said i don't know if they can score enough oh boy have they come out firing on offense where no marquette this is a legit game on wednesday night i'm really excited to see our first legit look at shaka and the new marquette yeah i mean you talk about those offensive numbers nova scored more than 80 points twice in their last what 10 games somewhere around there. three out of four. Right. That's an incredible stretch there for them from a team that struggled to find the guy on offense. And for all the big East people, I I think everybody knew that Marquette needed a change after Marcus Howard. Woj just wasn't the answer. And to get a coach like Shaka smart who has, I mean, you mentioned it. I think one of the, most marketable coaches in college basketball. Oh, the pedigree there? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think that's a stretch to put that, and especially success-wise. This team is not particularly old, so he has a lot to work with. You would think that these first few years would be transition years, but it doesn't feel like this is a transition year for Marquette. This feels like they're pushing for, if not a March Madness birth, then a deep big east tournament run they're there they're i think they will be a tournament right now i I do and i did not going into this year i looked at this completely as a transition year uh but what has happened is they're basically being led by their two fake freshmen who are in their Mm -hmm. second year but are still (laughs) classified as freshmen uh justin lewis who i looked at last year and didn't think too much of has really exploded this year so much so i see him on nba draft boards mind you Uh, you know, averaging eight points a game last year. He's up to 15 this year. We know the athleticism with him as a wing. Tyler Kolek as well. A lot of fun to watch as a freshman, I say in quotes, point guard. Um, Kirk uh, Kirk Quath comes in as a big man. He was a transfer at center. Cam Jones has made an impact as a true freshman guard. You know, we talk about this team defensively. I really did downplay Marquette at the beginning of the season. I did not expect much of them. I'm super impressed and I'm very excited to watch this game on Wednesday. 
Yeah. And he didn't even mention Daryl Morsell. All those guys. Oh, yeah. Daryl Morsell <laughs> is, is probably the leader of this team. It's it's amazing to watch. Yeah, I, I think I labeled them as my dark horse. And I, think I don't did. even know if that stands anymore. They're just there. I would not be surprised if Villanova drops one of their two games against Marquette because nope. they are so lethal on defense. I don't think they will. I can't remember if I picked them. I picked my... a, I picked a sweep for Nova. I feel less confident about that now. Yeah, <laughs> but I did uh, originally. I genuinely can't remember if I picked a split or a sweep, but I would. I don't know. You you get these teams hot at the at the right time, right? Both yeah. of these teams are really hot going in with winning streaks on the line. It's going to be a high stakes game, and I'm really interested and excited to watch Shaka Smart coach as well because we haven't seen at least me. I haven't seen him up close, and he seems like an amazing coach. It's going to be cool. Um, I'm very excited for this game on Wednesday night. It's going to be a tough game. Uh, At least it's at home. It's in the pavilion. It's Josh Hart night. So um, it should be a good one. Really good one. A lot riding on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then we don't really have a big East whip around because there's not much going around going on in the conference with COVID cancellation and stuff before we record again uh, on, on Wednesday night, but that was our Marquette preview. Yeah. I have one big East question for you. Yeah. Yeah. What is wrong with Seton Hall? Oh, isn't that the question? Um, Back-to-back losses to DePaul and Marquette. You mentioned the the call at the end of Marquette, so that one should be taken with a grain of salt. But they lost to DePaul 96-92. to Unacceptable. And Javon Javon Freeman Liberty scored 12 points in that game. It was, I think Terry had 28. Somebody else, I can't remember, had 24 points. That was insane. No, I think it was also a a two-and-a-half-hour game. Um, yes. <laughs> it was just so, oh so painful to, uh, with how many fouls were called that and, and how long that game was, uh, Jared Roden hasn't been great for them, which mm. I, I think has been a little bit of a struggle. I will say I'm so impressed with Bryce Aiken. You know, I was the, just going to say Harvard he's transfer. Yeah, yeah. He's he a stud. The issue is that, you know, he, he does think he's Steph Curry with some <laughs> of the shots that he will, you know, the step back, the very long range threes. That, that we will see from him, though he certainly has the ability to knock him down and hit him. I mean, with Seton Hall, my, my question still persists of, you know, I, I don't fully trust this team on offense. I think they can grind you out on defense. Uh, if Aiken is kind of having a bit of an off night, I'm not sure they have enough. I'm actually, I'm there with, this will be really fun. They play St. John's back-to-back games now for a home and home, um, which oh. will be with St. John's. We know can be uh, very, I don't even know to put how to put the term. Uh, sometimes they show up, sometimes they don't. But <laughs> if the Johnnies are on, you know, with them trying to s- stick with Posh and Champagny, that'll be a really interesting matchup. Yeah, I stand by that point that the Johnnies can still be a really tough opponent. I know that their record doesn't do reflect I. that. And at times their play doesn't reflect that. But I still do believe in it. And it's funny you went offense. Defense has been a bigger concern for me, for Seton mm-hmm. Hall. How do you give up 96 points to DePaul? Yeah, that can't that's happen. A- that's an issue. And I actually remember when we did the pick challenge with the full 40, I think Chris called a Seton Hall collapse because it's happened before. They start off really strong. They had that huge win over Michigan. They had a couple of other really good non-conference wins. And then they started really strong in the Big East play as well. And then something just happens and they don't mesh as well anymore. And maybe it's been Roden. Maybe it's been their COVID issues and maybe their big men aren't coming along as strongly as they would like. But they've got to pull it together because they they don't look like a top tier East team right now at all. No, uh, twenty. I mean, twenty twenty is the one you really think of where they were had the Big East regular season title for the first time in their grasp, and Villanova stole it from them. Yeah. Uh, the last week by by beating them, and then they lost to Creighton as well with that Miles Powell team. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, C- Seton Hall does have issues like that sometimes. It's why I don't fully, and they lost four games in a row down the stretch last year as well. So that they will have some issues. That wasn't a very good Seton Hall team, uh, from a year ago. Uh, I think they can cause people trouble, you know, just with their ability to defend and some of their length inside, uh, the, listen, Villanova saw it with a lot of their forwards missing that they can cause some trouble, but they're not a team that's consistent enough for me to really be afraid of them. Yeah. I feel the same way. And yeah. in the AP pool, they dropped out and that was no shock to anyone. Yeah. UConn and UConn got back, back in. in. Yep, yeah. Yep, yep. So that was a good switch. Watch there. out for the I'm, Huskies, I'm ex- by the way. I was just going to say, I, I need to see more of them. I yes. just want them on the court because Watch Providence has been off the court with their own COVID, COVID issues. Unfortunately, that game against Seton Hall on tonight, as you're listening on Tuesday, got postponed. So hopefully we're just getting closer to everybody being healthy and all these postponed games coming back. And then we can see more parity in terms of these records because it's weird to see nova at six and one and then Mm -hmm. some other teams at two and two that's so weird 
Yeah, uh, UConn plays Butler on Tuesday night. That yeah, that could be rough. <laughs> could Hopefully, be rough. it's not as rough as Villanova's game. And for Butler's sake. For Butler's sake. <laughs> yeah. No, All right, that was fun did. though. Yeah. No, I, I think we try and, and mix things up a little bit when we have a game like that on Sunday and. We've got some some pipeline things coming on that we're really excited about. So hopefully yep. those pan out and we hope you like these things. Yeah. Tell us what you think about the the Nova, the um the alumni retiring. Tell us what you think about Antoine and Dixon and how good this team really is, because we're in an interesting part of the schedule. And I think we're gonna see a lot of what this team really is in the next few weeks. We certainly are. I love that we started this episode and talking through it. We're like, damn, there's not that much to talk through with Butler because yeah. that game just there's not a lot of talking points from. And we still went nice and long. Um, so I hope An everyone enjoyed it. Yeah. Five minutes later. <laughs> so yeah. I hope everyone enjoyed. Uh, but it was a ton of fun uh, talking through all this stuff. Plenty of talking points, obviously, as always with Villanova. And I'm sure we will have plenty more after this game on Wednesday night. Oh, yeah. We're going to bring you a, a post-game recap immediately after, like we did last week. So that'll yes. be fun. And I, I'll probably be coming back from the game. So it'll be. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah. You'll have a, a sneak peek. So that, that will be fun. But all right. That will do it for us then here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VU Hoops for a recap on the Butler game, as well as some content leading up to Marquette as well. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. Hope everyone had an awesome MLK day, and we will be back at it on Thursday. So Nova Nation, that's a wrap.